My name is Molly McCartney. I'm an intuitive medium, the author of the Amazon best-selling book, Empower Your Wisdom, and the founder of the Empowered Wisdom School. This show was created for women who wish to trust their intuition so they can follow their higher calling and their bliss without fear, doubt, and disempowering relationships holding them back. If you're a spiritual woman with a business or career in any field and a higher calling you've been working towards, and you want to be featured on the show to inspire others with your story, go to empoweredwisdomshow.com. For now, please enjoy today's show, and don't forget to subscribe for daily inspiration from our very special guests. Hello and welcome to the Empowered Wisdom Show. This is your host, Molly McCartney, and today we are talking about creating the life of your dreams in the face of self-doubt. My guest today is Edie Weinstein. She's a psychotherapist, minister, journalist, and author of The Bliss Mistress, Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. She's done a lot of extraordinary things in her life, and she's got a beautiful calling um, of, of many faces. I'll let her share more about that, but we've uh, we've been chatting before the show and, and have a lot in common. So I'm looking forward to, to hearing her take on creating the life of your dreams in the face of self-doubt. Um, perfectionism can come in big time when we are doing big things in the world, and uh, for listeners out there that struggle with that, um, you just got to keep moving forward and listening to that inner voice. So welcome, Edie. How are you today? Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I've, um, as you mentioned, I wear many hats. The other hat that I wear is grandmother. Um, my mornings are spent with my grandchildren. I've got a three-year-old grandson, nine-month-old granddaughter, and they are my deepest joys. And when my daughter-in-law was pregnant with Dean, the three-year-old, my son said, he's going to be the center of your universe. And I said, nah, he'll be the center of yours. He was right. You know, these <laughs> kids um, are my little teachers, my little gurus, and um, I just adore them. And I tell them I'm the luckiest Bubby in the world. Bubby is Yiddish for grandmother. You know, <laughs> I said, who's the luckiest Bubby? <laughs> and they're my favorite people on the planet. So it, it helps being with them helps to stay, sustain me through challenges. Oh yeah, I bet they they keep us. They they remind us what's important, both children and nature and animals. Like that that simplicity and that innocence really helps us say, all right, let's chill out and and focus on what's real here, because yeah, those absolutely. illusions that keep us stuck and keep us holding ourselves back are just yeah, that's all they are. So that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. So what do you do these days? You've got a lot of titles, um, and they I can see how they all go together. Um, so what's your main focus right now? And we'll kind of go from there in terms of what I get interested about that journey. Sure, absolutely. I would say that my focus is connection and communication. Um, as a writer, as a therapist, as a speaker, as an interfaith minister, it's about connecting heart to heart. Because so often, especially now, we're accustomed to going head to head, butting heads with people, um, talking at people rather than speaking with them and, and listening and, and being fully present with them and uh, just slowing down mm. is my, my challenge and my, my gift to myself. So that's what I attempt to do is take whatever gifts are in here um, and, and I think we're, we're all born with the need for creation, cre creation and connection. So when I connect with people, even though we're on a computer screen, there's an energy. And this is not cosmic foo-foo stuff. This is very grounded, very human stuff. So all of my work has to do with connection 
with other other people and the planet in general. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And, and some of the, the ways you do that are really interesting. So recently you, um, you did a TED talk on um, the taboo of breaking the taboo of touch. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. It's called overcoming the taboo of touch. And I did it on October 1st in Lima, Ohio. And I had wanted to do a TEDx talk for I don't know how many years, 10 or more years. I saw Elizabeth Gilbert do a talk on creativity and my immediate thought was, I want what she's having. I want to do that. I've been a speaker in one form or another for 30 years, maybe, but I wanted to be on the TED stage. So I, I have a, a process that I use to help people manifest what they want. So the first step is seed planting. Oh, she's doing something that I would like to do. And because she's doing it, I know it's possible because mm -hmm. often we tell ourselves, nah, I can't possibly do that. Somebody, you know, there was a time when Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, was not a household name. Mm -hmm. And now she is because she, she was daring to put herself out there, put the book out there. So I started watching other people's TED Talks. I thought about what would it be like? And um, I spoke with a friend who had done one the year, what, what year did she do it? Early 2021. I said, how did you get there? And she gave me the name of her coach who I contacted. And after um, a, a brief conversation, I said, okay, I'm in, I want to do this. Um, so I realized that in order to take myself from the thought to the stage, it was going to be like an emotional marathon. Now, I had no clue how intense it was going to be. So, you know, working with his name is Cesar Cervantes. So working with him, I knew that I had to commit to regular one-on-one -on -one sessions with him, weekly group sessions. He helped me to craft the presentation. And when you do a TEDx talk, it's not spontaneous. It's not like this. Mm -hmm. You need to come up with a script. So it's like doing it, in my case, a 17-minute monologue without any promptings. I had to memorize it. No teleprompter, no, you know, no cue cards. It all had to be here. So immediately, my imposter syndrome kicked in when I started thinking about it. Like, who are you to do this? You know, you have never done anything like this before. Whenever I've spoken, it's always been improv. And it's whatever comes to me in the moment. I'm 64 years old. So I bought into the narrative that, oh, my memory isn't as sharp as it used to be. So um, Caesar helped me to craft the pitch because you need to pitch one of the stages. And TED stands for technology, I don't know if it's entertainment, I think it's technology, entertainment, and design. Mm -hmm. And TEDx are um, stages all over the world, sort of like a, like a, a franchise or subsidiary. Mm -hmm. So I pitched about a dozen of them. And my only agreement with myself was that it had to be within driving distance because I didn't want to fly. So in this was starting in October of 2021. In April of 2022, I get a message from this stage in Lima, Ohio. We want to have you audition and do a you know, group interview. A few days later, they said yes. So like anything you really wanted to do, there was a sense of, you know, like big explosion, excitement, jumping up and down. And, um, I called friends, I called my family and I said, okay, I'm doing this. And then perfectionista kicked in again. Now she is my um, inner critic. Uh -huh. She looks down her nose over her glasses at me and says, you should know how to do this. You're a therapist. You're a speaker. Why are you letting this intimidate? Because it's what I've wanted. Mm -hmm. And what if I mess it up? What if I forget what I'm supposed to say? 
So one of the things that when you're chosen by TED, TEDx stage that you, you get is three coaches. One of them is a writing coach, which I really didn't need because the talk was just needed a little polishing. The other was presentation stage coach, not the stage coach like Western, but <laughs> the coach for the stage. And then the third one was a life, you know, life coach. And that was because this can be a highly stressful process. And when you do this, it's um, excavating your soul. Mm-hmm. You know, it brings for everybody that was on that stage that day with me, there were eight of us. It brought up stuff, mm-hmm. really messy stuff. So I started practicing. I had six months between the time they said yes and the time that I knew I'd be on stage. So I practiced you know, reading it over and over again. I recorded it. I practiced in the car. I practiced in the shower. I practiced with friends, but the coolest one was in my sleep. If I woke up in the middle of the night, I'd say, okay, let's run it through. And (laughs) by the time I felt, I hadn't finished it by the time I fell asleep. So I started dreaming the talk. Um, I even bought um, a red rug, like a red bathroom rug to, because most of the stages have the red rug on, not red rug, but a red circle that you stand in. So it's still there in my dining room. And I yeah. walk over it, you know, a gazillion times a day. And the sad part, disappointing part, there was no red circle on the stage <laughs> I was on, but I imagined it. It was cool. So when the time came, I was still a little nervous. My best friend came with me. We took a road trip, nine hours to um, Ohio. And we had some rehearsals. I got to meet the amazing people that I had only met virtually in the process and we bonded I'm still in touch with, with a fair number of them. And then it was time to go on stage and I was blessedly the second one. So I didn't have to wait (laughs) to get, I could get it over with and watch everybody else. And they gave us a a lavalier mic that we had to clip to our our clothing. So I clipped it on and went down my back and, you know, the, the um, little box was attached to my waistband. And I said to my coach, Amy, please make sure that it's turned on before I go out because it's muted. Um, so, because I can't reach and she says, Oh, don't worry. They'll take care of it. at The sound booth. I'm on stage four minutes into it. And she comes walking out and says, and I said, what? She said, you were right. It's oh. you're muted. Oh no. You have to go. She flipped, flipped the switch. She said, go back out there start again. <laughs> went, there you oh, go. Okay. So that's how <laughs> I knew I really had it. Now I don't, I, you know, if I had to do it again now, I probably wouldn't remember it because it take it took up a lot of space in my brain. Mm-hmm. You know? So afterwards, it was such a huge sense of relief. Um, and it is available now, if you want to see it, it's on YouTube, Overcoming the Taboo of Touch. And it was just remarkable to, you know, to have that experience. So I would highly recommend it to anybody who's willing to invest the time, the energy, the, um, you know, the emotional excavation to do this. It's the thrill. It was the thrill of a lifetime. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that journey. I, I've often wondered what it's like to to set up for that. Mm-hmm. That's about what I would imagine. It yeah. becomes kind of overwhelming. The one that's you know your your big platform, and and there are lots of different platforms. You know, this podcast is a platform. We write, we put things out there, but that's one place where you know if it's going up on YouTube, there's going to be a lot of people seeing it. So right. you want to you right. want to get out your your words. So. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit about overcoming the taboo of touch and what your mission is with that, that message? Absolutely. Where that came from, um, when I was in grad school in the mid-80s, I did a project called Counseling Practitioners' Views 
on using touch as a therapeutic modality. Now, um, as a social worker, I was taught, and this was the concept, prevailing concept back then, don't touch your clients because there's you know, transference. They might get too attached to you. Some of them may be trauma survivors for whom touch would be frightening. Um, homophobia, um, what else? Just all, you know, all kinds of dysfunctional thoughts mm. that have to do with touch. So when I spoke with Caesar, he says, well, what if we flipped it on his head? Can you tell me reasons for a therapist to touch their clients with consent? And I said, sure. A sense of support, a sense that they're not alone, that they matter, comfort in a time of grief. He said, okay, that's your through line. So when you do a TEDx talk, you have to come up with a, a theme, a through line that runs through the entire presentation. And um, I added to it an experience that I had in 2014 on Valentine's Day weekend. In fact, it was the day after Valentine's Day. I brought a group of friends to 30th Street Station, which is a big train station in Philadelphia for a free hugs flash mob. And for those who don't know what free hugs are, you know, people stand on street corners with a sign that says free hugs and with consent hug willing strangers, passersby. So there were a dozen of us there. And I estimate that within the, the hour we were there, we hugged about 200 people. One of the people, one of the men was one of the people that approached us was a man who was an Iraq war vet. And he told us that he was the only survivor of his platoon and he had survivor's guilt. And he said, I thought about killing myself until I met you people because you give me hope. Can I join you? Cheers, of course. Wow, so we gave him his beautiful. own sign and then he started hugging. And I thought hugs save lives. And I didn't realize the, uh, the truth in that until June 12th of the same year on the way home from the gym. Um, I was 55 years old. I had a heart attack and I knew I was in the midst of a heart attack, but I didn't go straight to the hospital. I drove home workaholic that I am. I called my office where I was working as a substance abuse and addictions counselor of all things. And I said, I'm not feeling very well. Can you cancel my clients today? And I had the, the phone in my hand and I still didn't call 911. I drove myself to the hospital. You're a tough lady. Don't do that. Ever, 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 ever. <laughs> I talk about that in the TEDx talk. Don't ever do that. And that was my workaholic. And that was my perfectionista telling me, oh, you can handle this. Don't worry about it. You know, Wonder Woman. So as part of my cardiac rehab, I walked through Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which is a little town in, in my area. And I said, why don't I combine the hugging with the walking? So I started doing what I called free hug strolls where I'd walk through town with my sign and people started calling my, me and my friends hug mobsters and I, you know, flash mob, hug mob. And I said, Oh, you know, mobsters, guns, drugs, violence. <laughs> so, so I added the tagline armed with love. So a friend created this beautiful graphic. It was a, a, a hand, excuse me, a heart with hands. And another friend commissioned a local artist to make signs for me. And I took the sign, you know, I kept signs, keep still now, keep signs in the car with me. So I do them on a planned and spontaneous basis. And the coolest place I ever hugged was in Ireland. I went there. That was another bucket list item. 2018, um, as I was turning 60, I decided to go to Ireland. So I carried my sign with me and, and hugged people there. And I talk about that on, you know, in the TEDx talk as well. So that's part of my bliss is connecting heart to heart with people. And at the beginning of the pandemic, when we couldn't touch each other, I went into a pat literally into a panic thinking, mm -hmm. how is it possible that humans are hardwired for touch and we can't touch any, you know, touch anybody. 
I hope that ends soon. So I had a dream. My dreams are really powerful and good messages. I had a dream that we could hug back to back or back to front like spooning. And now I can hug heart to heart. I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm vexed. I'm boosted. I'm as safe as I can possibly be. So that's still my, my passion is with consent, hugging whoever's willing. I love that. Yeah. I, I remember you. when those, those hug videos, the hug flash mobs came out on, uh, you know, it was either YouTube or just little videos you'd see online. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> that looks really fun. Yep. And, and it is, it's sometimes, you know, it's, it's similar to smiling at strangers, you know, but taking it to that next level. Cause you never know yep. what kind of day someone's having, what they're going through. And that simple embrace can, can heal a multitude of challenges and just yep. give that person comfort. So what a beautiful healing service that you give with that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, one thing that I did in the meantime was co-founded a Facebook group. I don't know if you could see the card here. Um, it's called, we call ourselves Bucks County Kind. And uh, Bucks County is where Doylestown is located. And um, I've co-founded it with my friend, Joanne Petron. And we encourage people to do acts of kindness. So if your viewers, listeners want to join our group. You don't have to be from Bucks County to do it. And on the page, there are inspiring quotes and stories about kindness. So during the height of the pandemic, I could hand out these cards and nobody said no. <laughs> so this was like a, a paper hug. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love yeah. that. Get in enrolling other people in that and saying it's okay yep. to do this because like when I saw it, I said, I'd love to do that. And it's something I've even thought about, but people that kind of get it together and make it happen. That's the thing that gives permission to other people that want to share that kindness to, to go ahead. It starts that wave, um, that beautiful wave of change. So you mentioned one of your biggest successes on your journey was uh, your interview with the Dalai Lama. Talk about the king of kindness and compassion. Oh, yeah. About um, that, like amazing yes. journey. Yes, um, it, I can still feel it like it was yesterday. In 1998, my husband and I founded a magazine called Visions, had to do with holistic health and wellness. And I got to interview some of the movers and shakers in the metaphysical new age wellness fields. And I said, I would love to interview the Dalai Lama. My friends and family are all yaysayers. I don't think I have too, I can't think of too many naysayers in my life. That's awesome. And they all said, oh, I know someday it's going to happen. I don't know how, but it'll happen. Mm -hmm. So I created a vision board and put his picture on it. And a friend suggested taking a picture of myself, cutting it out and putting it next to his picture for proximity. Somebody else suggested, oh, why don't you write the questions as if you're going to be interviewing him tomorrow? So I did that. Then in 2005, I think it was, he came to New Jersey to speak at Rutgers Stadium in New Brunswick. And the people that were organizing it asked me if I would help promote it. And I said, sure. And by the way, is he granting interviews? No, he's not. I said, well, okay, I'm going to go anyway, and I'll help you promote it. So I walked around the stadium with a tape recorder, like a little mini back then. Um, and I asked people what brought them there and what he means to them. I don't remember where it was published. So at the end of the event, they gave us all postcards with his picture on it. I taped it to the dashboard of my Jeep. So he was with me in the car. He was with me on the dashboard, in the uh, dashboard on the vision board. He was with me in here. He was with me in here. And I did what is probably the hardest part of manifestation, surrender. Let it go. He yeah. said, okay, you <laughs> take it. So two years later, I get a phone call from my friend, Greg Schultz. 
um, to, uh, to Lyoma, huge debt of gratitude. He said, um, I'm the event producer for His Holiness coming to Philadelphia in July of, of next year. Would you be willing to help promote it? I said, of course. And by the way, is he grant? No, he's not. all right, I'll do it anyway. So as the time got closer, we started playing this kid's game. You're getting warmer, you're getting warmer. He said, I can't guarantee it, but there's a distinct possibility that you will be able to have an audience with His Holiness and interview him. I'll keep you posted. So early July of 2008, I'm at an outdoor music festival standing with two friends. One of them is a photographer. The phone rings and it's my friend Greg and I pick it up and he said, are you sitting down? I said, should I be? He said, yes, take off July 16th and 17th. You've got the interview. And by the way, you're the only journalist in the Philadelphia area that he's granted an interview with. Wow. I screamed into the phone. My <laughs> photographer friend snapped the picture and he said, I'll get back to you tomorrow with details. So of course I was you know, jumping out of my skin. And once again, um, it, the way I describe it is um, somewhere between holy shit, abject terror and orgasmic bliss. <laughs> so when in doubt, go for the orgasmic bliss. <laughs> yeah. And that's when the imposter syndrome kicked in. Um, what if you forget? You're, you know, what if you can't speak, if you're so overwhelmed by being in his presence? What if you get laryngitis? Because I do get it occasionally as somebody who speaks for a living. What if something happens and it just doesn't happen? And I said, stop right now. My mother used to say, knock it off. And I said, okay, just stop. You would not have been given this opportunity if you hadn't earned it. If you hadn't put in the time, the energy, the whatever you want to call it. And my father had died a few months earlier in April of 2008, and he knew a lot of people. And I said, okay, thanks, Dad, for the connection. <laughs> you know. That happens um, so for sure. <laughs> day, yeah, the day before the interview, David O'Reilly, who is um, another journalist in Philadelphia, because my, my friend said, you know, you saw the interview, but they want the Philadelphia Inquirer on board with it too. So David and I um, we're standing at this outside this Buddhist temple in Philadelphia, like two conspiratorial little kids. And I said, look at all those other reporters there. They don't know that tomorrow at this time, we're going to be with his holiness. And he said, I got a new suit for the occasion. I said, I got a new dress for the occasion. <laughs> um, so later in the day, um, he was speaking at the Kimmel Center, which is this big auditorium in Philly and the theater. And it was his birthday. He had just turned 75 earlier in July and a huge sheet cake was wheeled in with one candle in the middle and we all sang happy birthday and he started cutting the cake and we kept saying blow out the candle blow out because I don't know if that's a Tibetan ritual to blow out birthday candles and everybody got a piece if they wanted it so I got the last piece I took it with me into the lobby and I called my mother who was living in in Florida at the time still living there since my dad died and I said guess what we're doing we're you and I are, are enjoying the Dalai Lama's birthday cake, and we both cried. And I said, um, she said, I always knew you would do this. So my my both my parents had been my my cheerleaders. And the interview itself um, was held the next day at the Four Seasons Hotel. I walked in and immediately started crying. And when you meet with His Holiness, you wear um, a white silk scarf called a kata, and you fold it in a particular way, hold it in in Namaste and prayer pose. He takes the scarf, blesses it, and puts it back around. Well, after he did that, he hugged me. I have never experienced a hug like that before. I can still feel it. Wow. And he was a real genuine person. 
the interview that I did wasn't your typical Q&A. It was about what brings you joy, you know, about relationships, about connection. And um, if people want to read the interview, just look up Edie Weinstein, Dalai Lama interview. And there's a, a, a number of different versions of it out there on the internet. So cool. that told me that I can do anything I set my mind to, that, That's you know, that I beautiful. co-created that with the divine. That's beautiful. I love that. And I'm definitely going to check that out because I'm a huge fan of the Dalai Lama um, and just just the, the teachings, the Tibetan Buddhist teachings of compassion, kindness and presence. You know, that's the kind of stuff that changes the world. So very Absolutely. cool that you got that that connection. And now you're sending you're still bringing the hugs. You're bringing the compassion out into the world with that. It's almost like a lineage thing at this point, probably. Because <laughs> yeah, I had it just occurred to me as you're saying that I hadn't done the free hugs thing. Mm-hmm. until after that so maybe in some interesting way i'm carrying the dalai lama's hugs with me out on the road possibly yeah i think that's maybe. cool it's cool to think about anyway i mean yeah. that just doing it in the energy of that is is amazing so so you got that proof that anything is possible and yet you still have the perfectionista part so this is the part of the show where i like to ask about these personal challenges that still come up even though we see evidence to the contrary that self-doubt will still rear its its ugly head and um, the, the self-criticism will come up. Um, so with whatever's on the horizon for you, how does your perfectionista show up lately? Right. Well, the way she shows up is by telling me you're not doing enough. Mm. You're not. Um, and this is ego. I was just talking to a, to a dear friend about this before I got home. Um, ego talking like, um, you're not famous enough. You're not, you don't have a big enough platform. Um, if only you were as good as this person, you'd have a bigger platform. And I think all of us that do the kind of work that you and I do, I can't speak for you, but I imagine that there are times that you question, you know, well, how come, you know, back, back when it mattered to me that, you know, that Oprah hasn't called, you know, why, you know, and, and now I don't, okay. Yeah, I actually right. wrote an article called Be Your Own Oprah. Yeah, um, that's right. That's kind of why I started yeah. the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Be Your Own Oprah. Be your um, own Oprah. But that, that, you know, when people became Oprah's darlings, they became better known. Mm-hmm. And I have to keep telling myself I'm doing this for two reasons. One to be of service and the other to support myself financially, because I got the same bills to pay as anybody else. And so that I have that chatter in my head, like, oh, if only you were smarter, um, more articulate, if you had whatever it is that you're missing, you would be farther along. And then I look back at, at the, what I call the Hansel and Gretel breadcrumb trail. It, my husband and I started this magazine in 88. We did it for 10 years and he died in 1998. And I, that's how I became a minister. Um, was as a result of his passing. And I thought, look how far you've come. And the one thing that I, that I tell people all the time when they feel like things aren't happening fast enough or I don't know how I'm going to get from here to there is we have no idea what's going on in the background. You and I only connected a few weeks ago. I didn't know you existed. You didn't know I existed. So the universe conspired to bring us together. Mm-hmm. We don't know what other conspiratorial ideas in a positive way the universe has for us to bring us together with just the right people at just the right time for whatever opportunities we're game for. Mm-hmm. So that's one way that I counter that monkey mind chatter. Like, what are you worried about, woman? 
-hmm. Look how far you've come. Look at at the difference that you can make in other people's lives and you can allow them to make in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as, as I always do, I've drawn a few cards for you to take a look at this on that more intuitive level. And that is very intuitive by the way, already just, just that, you know, talking about it from that spiritual purpose and that, you know, trusting the mystery. It's, it's always about that at the end of the day. But um, if you don't mind me sharing, I'll... Um, please, please oh, do. Awesome. Well, I do see right now that there's some, um, you know, call to balance for you in, in your life and your inner voice is, is maybe, it, it could possibly be asking you to slow down and to, you know, you even said it, we started the show that way, slow down and just be present. Um, and sometimes that kind of fast pace um, growth and putting out, you know, being out there and projecting out is, is, is counter to that. So I feel like there is a, a, a balancing act going on for you right now. And your guides are asking you to just kind of go within and it may be incubation, it may be uh, kind of a permanent slowing down, but I feel um, actually I feel more like an incubation for you than a permanent. Um, and there may be some healing going on too. I see a couple of things that have to do with some kind of healing, whether it's physical or um, stress related. Uh, but you're coming out of a time of great um, opportunities coming your way and in divine timing. It's boom, 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 happened just like that. But as you move forward, there is um, a request from from life, from spirit for you to stop putting your energy into things that don't give back to you. Do you know what that might be? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I um, uh, I'm a consummate giver in all of the work that I do. And I've had a, a struggle with allowing people to, you know, to, for me to be in receptivity mode and accepting what people have to offer. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I don't need that. I'm, you know, I can handle everything. I can take on the world, you know, the weight of the world. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, allowing myself to receive. That's, that's been a big one. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned that you've got that type A part that's very, you know, go getter and can get stuff done and manage a lot of plates in the air. And, and that's the shift now is just kind of getting more grounded. There is a transformation going on. If there's any place in your life where you feel like you're stuck or going backwards, just know that this is a learning curve that is bringing you new awareness. Um, and it is asking you to kind of keep your energy to yourself right now, uh, which may not be the the most the easiest thing for you. But it's it's really about um, harnessing your own emotional energy, again, for that healing and for that incubation. And then I do see writing more. Um, you already have one book. Are you thinking of writing another book? I have the challenge with that is finding the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Because until a book is written, there's no income coming yeah. from from that. So yeah, I do have, I've have a couple of ideas for, you know, for books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I can see more putting more of yourself out there, more of your wisdom out there. And it feels like a magnum opus kind of work. <laughs> Maybe it's a bit memoir, a bit teaching. Um, but I feel like it's this time that you're dealing with right now is is bringing you within so that you can incubate those ideas. And um, mm-hmm. I do feel that any fears that you do have that perfectionista, I love that you named her that um, anytime she pops up, um, it's really about just getting distracted decisive about about what you're doing and saying I'm doing it no matter what that's you know that's coming up and I'm in my heart space no matter what if I'm in my heart space then I'm doing the right thing so um, if you feel that criticism it's really your mind and 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 um, what I teach my clients is to tell the difference between their intellect their instinct which is the thoughts and fears of the ego 
and then that intuition that is more core and heart centered and connected to that higher spirit. So as long as you are feeling that connection, no matter what you're doing, you could be sitting in the garden talking to the fairies, <laughs> as you mentioned, right. um, doing as a child, you could be doing that or you could be on a TEDx stage or you could be hugging the Dalai Lama. It doesn't matter. It's, it's um, giving that heart centered energy out into the world. Um, so there is um, the challenge for you is is sitting still because you're so used to letting yourself be free and and kind of going out and having these big wow experiences. Um, but whatever you've been guided into stillness for and is there a healing going on? Um, I know you mentioned you had a heart attack, but that was a while ago. Is there some kind of other healing going on? Yeah, for you? Um, I have COPD. I was diagnosed with COPD a couple of years ago. I worked for. 14 years in settings where the clients and patients smoked. Mm. I've never smoked. Mm -hmm. And they would come into my office with smoke on their clothes and their hair with the door closed. Mm -hmm. So second and third hand smoke. So that's been a challenge. Um, I'm not as, um, I don't have as much stamina as I did because of that. So I have been taking more time to just veg, to be, to sleep, to meditate. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, again, since the pandemic started, I've been much more internal. Yeah. I'm not the, you know, the social butterfly that I was has folded her wings for a little bit. Yeah. And that's actually, it's a good thing because there is some returning to your inner child that's going on. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it's really interesting because you did share with me before you came on the show, all that loveliness of your, your, your strange little inner child or your child when you were a child and I had that too you know hey parents I'm an alien here from somewhere else I'm not of this earth and and talking to fairies and, and trees and the in nature it's it's like you're returning to some of that and that magic that you hold within yourself is becoming um, more prominent in your energy field so I feel like that's the gift of the pandemic I know I had to slow down and for me it's sped up again and I'm like no I want to go back there but for you it feels like it's holding you there a little bit longer so that you can you can come back to yourself in some way and from that place aim your arrow and set your intentions yes ma'am sounds wonderful yeah the other thing that I that I uh, believe now people say that they're the black sheep of the family I'm the rainbow sheep <laughs> I love that the rainbow sheep of the family yeah. I love it. Beautiful. Yeah, you guys take that. I'll, I'll take that too. Just a little bit more colorful. That's all. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thanks for letting me share that. And thanks for sharing your story. It's been lovely meeting you today. You too. Thanks. Too. And where can you. people find you if they'd like to connect with yeah. you online? Absolutely. Well, I'm on Facebook, um, E-D-I-E-W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. -E -E and my website is www.opti-hyphen mystical, M-Y-S-T-I-C-A-L.com. And where that came from was either a dream or a meditation where the voice said, um, you are not just an optimist, you're an optimistic who sees the world through the eyes of possibility. And that's what I offer to everybody. See the world through the eyes of possibility. And it's a lot more fun. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's uh, yeah, that's the old adage is true. The the glass is half, half empty or half full and you see what you what you choose to see. So beautiful message to, to end the show with today. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, Edie. We will talk to you again sometime. Pleasure. Sounds good. Thanks, Molly. Enjoy your day. Thanks, you too. And thanks, guys, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to hear more from our wise and wonderful guests, make sure you subscribe for daily interview content. And here's three ways I can help empower your wisdom for free. 
Number one, grab your copy of my Empower Your Life workbook. It will help you honor your inner voice, make way for new visions, and live with intention. Go to empoweredwisdomshow.com forward slash workbook to get your copy today. Two, if you're a woman with a well-established business or career and your intuition is nudging you to go in a more spiritual direction, we want to interview you on this show. Head to empoweredwisdomshow.com. Three, listen and subscribe to our sister podcast, The Empowered Wisdom Hour, for free teachings, guided meditation, and channeled wisdom to help you thrive. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, and most major podcast platforms. At Empowered Wisdom Coaching, we help intuitive, spiritual, and high-achieving women who feel disempowered by self-doubt and relationship patterns realize their power and go for what they want without holding back. If you're ready to release doubt, fear, and disempowering relationships so you can follow your calling and your bliss the intuitive way, book a call to see how I can help. Go to mollymccartney.com forward slash chat.